All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I'm your host, Doug Kameen, and today I am talking with Lucas Heinrich. Hey, Lucas, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, so, Lucas, uh, uh, we, we brought you on the show because you're, you're a really interesting guy and uh, you got a great background. Can you tell us, let's just start off and tell us a little bit about, about who you are and, and what, you, what you do. Well, um, so I um, currently I'm a chief technology officer at the Forte Group. The Forte mm-hmm. Group is a technology solution provider, software outsourcing company mm-hmm. um, based in, in the U.S., but with resources that are global, um, primarily in Eastern Europe and Latin America. Um, prior to this, I was CTO at a wealth management firm. And prior to that, I helped grow a very similar company called Bayerdus Dev. Uh, which was primarily uh, focused on well the U.S. market, but uh, with engineers in Latin America. Um, I'm probably what you'd call a very non-traditional CTO. Although the more mm-hmm. people I talk to in the industry, the more I realize there's some common themes. I uh, did not get a technology degree. I uh, have a philosophy major um, and joined the job market at a time when technology was really uh, leaps ahead of, of what you could learn in college and uh, really learned how to program on the job when uh, there was a lot of, uh, of change going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started working in a, in a bank uh, doing uh, uh, a lot of uh, you know, reporting and, and, and uh, data analysis um, and utilizing a tool set that was, uh, most of this was a, a, a Microsoft products, but um, there was no way to study that, and you just learned on the job. And then from there, I I grew and tried a bunch of different things. I've worked on the product development side, uh, mm-hmm. building SaaS platforms, as well as on the the services side, which is where I am right now. Nice, nice. So you know, it's funny. I got a little like you, you mentioned uh, Bearstev. Uh, I I get a lot of calls from their salespeople right now. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I hear <laughs> that my day job. You know, yeah. So there's there's, there's uh, definitely a lot of people uh, from Bearstev tracking me, track, trying to track me down for different things. Uh, but that wasn't that wasn't your responsibility there. It wasn't my responsibility. Although I have to say, um, their uh, their CEO is a dear friend of mine still. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, they, they invested in uh, building their own uh, sales and marketing automation platform that's tightly integrated with, you know, uh, with their entire enterprise in a way mm-hmm. that I think is novel. And uh, now they're, they're, they're injecting that model into companies that they're funding as part of a, a, a venture capital company called Beta Ventures. So really mm-hmm. interesting stuff. Uh, oh, nice. Really, really love those guys. Yep. Right, awesome. All right. So. So just going back in time, I know you mentioned you kind of have a non-traditional background here coming into into these types of into an IT leadership role. Um, let's go way back in time. Where did you where did you start? So you said you you didn't start in technology. So so like, how did you? Uh, what, what were you originally set out to do? I guess is what I want to ask you. Um, great question for the typical Gen Xer. You know, I really mm-hmm. didn't know. <laughs> and Gen Xer yeah, here too, man. <laughs> I will say, like many Gen Xers, my uh, my dad bought me a, a Commodore VIC twenty uh, oh when God. they hit the market, yeah. and uh, I sat down writing, uh, you know, basic uh, programs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, building, uh, uh, you know, programs to play tic tac toe or. Uh, uh, make things fly across the screen in big pixelated chunks. So yep, um, I was a TI ninety nine four A guy. That was oh, that I was know. mine. Oh, I, yeah, 
yeah, hated you guys. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we programmed that logo, man. All ah, right, right. <laughs> so, um, the, so the Commodore. So you are a Commodore guy. Yeah, I was a Commodore guy. Yeah, that's uh, that, those are my roots. Um, but I think, um, in, in all seriousness, though, um, I I think the first thing that that I built was uh, a program, just a print routine to to uh, write. I will not do something in class. When the teacher told me to write that a thousand times, I said, "Okay." I walked <laughs> over to the computer, popped in my my big floppy disk, and uh, printed it out. So you were hacking uh, life I, at like age twelve here. Well, I was, <laughs> that's the roots of automation, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you take something manual and you automate it. So I, I think um, I kind of had a passion for technology as a as a way of of um, you know finding efficiencies. Um, and and later, you know, that would translate to a passion for DevOps when DevOps culture was really um, more of a grassroots movement than uh, than something that that's become standard and and operational in many companies. Mm -hmm. Nice, that's awesome. So so you started. So you did have some technology background. You had you you know this GenX background. You had computers as a kid, but you went to school for philosophy. Well, um, I went to school not knowing what I was going to school for, which is okay. absolutely yeah. horrible. Now that I have kids looking to go to college, and I'm telling you, <laughs> not <laughs> it's too expensive. Um, the cycle but, continues um, of life, right? Parents telling their kids not to do what they did. <laughs> um, but I do think that um, you know, philosophy has kind of, and maybe you know, humanities in general, I think has kind of a bad rap. You know, I keep meeting people. Um, you know, in, in different disciplines in technology. And the common thread is that they have a bachelor in arts, uh, mm -hmm. of arts and in, in, in some discipline that's not necessarily technical, um, but has enabled them to quickly learn, adapt, and become very proficient in different areas of technology. So, um, so philosophy for me um, was uh, more about a, a rigor around thought, a discipline around thought and applying mm -hmm techniques of thinking to solve specific problems. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that's a far stretch from solving engineering problems. And yeah. I, I think that uh, you know, people tend to think, oh, you're, you know, it's, it's very, um, I don't know, uh, you know, people think philosophy, and they think, you know, sitting, sitting out in a, on a mountaintop and meditating, and it's really not that at all. It's it, it, there's a lot of rigor involved. Um, and critical thinking, I think is a is a very, uh, um, first, very hard to measure, and second, very under uh, under uh, maybe underestimated uh, as uh, as a as a discipline. So, absolutely, provides you with that. Yeah, yeah. No, I I couldn't agree more. Like the, you have a lot of people who uh, you you know I I too have been in you know technology leadership for a number of years, and there's a there's definitely a distinction in folks who have uh, I, I call it maybe clarity of thought. Because they've got this the more expansive background in terms of what they've you know where they came from you know I like I have a business degree as well as a computer science degree which gave me a lot of additional you know additional insight into how other places and other other aspects work other than just say writing code all day or you know maintaining the servers of the network all day so I think I had some fabulous insight to share with our listeners uh, that you that you've got there um, you know that that you you don't need. You don't need a a tech degree to be a tech leader, and that's a uh, that's a real you know so that's a great nugget for people to to walk away from.
At Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, we expect to win and we expect our IT directors to win. And one of those areas where we know that we can help you win is internet service providers. As an IT director tasked with managing internet connectivity, few vendor relationships can prove more painfully frustrating than the one with your internet service provider. The array of challenges seems never-ending, from unreliable uptime and insufficient bandwidth to poor customer service and hidden fees. It's like getting stuck in rush hour traffic, dealing with ISPs can try one's patience even on the best of days. So whether you are managing one location or a hundred locations, our back office support team and vendor partners are the best in the industry. And the best part about this is none of this will ever cost you a dime due to the partnership and the sponsors that we have behind the scenes at Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Let us show you how we can manage away the mediocrity and hit it out of the park. We start by mapping all of the available fiber routes and we use our 1.2 billion in combined customer buying power in massive economy of scale to map all of your locations, to overcome construction fees, to use industry historical data, to encourage providers to compete for the lowest possible pricing, to negotiate the lowest rates guaranteed, and to provide fast response times in hours, not days. And we leverage aggregators and wholesale relationships to ensure you get the best possible pricing available in the marketplace. And on top of all of this, you get proactive network monitoring and proactive alerts so that you're not left calling 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND to enter in a ticket number and wonder, why is my internet connection down? In short, we are the partner that you have always wanted who understands your needs, your frustrations, and knows what you need without you having to ask. So we're still human, but we are some of the best and we aim to win. This all starts with a value discovery call where we find out what you have, why you have it, and what's on your roadmap. All you need to do is email internet at popularit.net and say, I want help managing all of my internet garbage. Please make my life easier and we'll get right on it for you. Have a wonderful day. So moving forward, you came into, uh, uh, you, you, you got that philosophy degree. When did you make the transition into being in in the technology field? Maybe about two months after being hired to work at a bank, straight out of college. <laughs> <laughs> was this was this one of those like like I know you know Lucas is <laughs> Lucas does knows computer stuff and and we could ask him to help us with these things. And, and I was a you know very quick learner, um, mm -hmm. said yes to a lot of things, and then figured it out later. But uh, that's basically how it works. So I I started working in a small. A regional bank as a management trainee, and their management trainee program uh, would you'd cycle through different parts of the organization, and uh, the area where they needed the most help was called MIS, Management Information Systems, mm -hmm. where they had a a, a lot of uh, old legacy mainframe. Well, at that time it wasn't so legacy. Now we would say legacy mainframe um, that they did not have the connective tissue between that and the new Microsoft world of Excel and access and, uh, and, and all the, the, the benefits that you get from that. So um, I was writing uh, code Visual Basic and uh, working with SQL Server and um, teaching the, the executive team how to use Excel and build macros. That was mm -hmm. my introduction. And uh -huh. uh, all of this was on the job, learning as I went, you know, a couple of courses. But uh, um, now I do have to say that growing up into you know different roles um 
there is something very much to be said for a computer science background. And mm -hmm. there are big gaps that I have worked to fill over time. Um, just, you know, concepts that, um, that you really can't skip over that easily. So, mm -hmm. um, so, so I wouldn't say it's, it's, you know, in no way would I say it's, you know, superfluous. I think it's incredibly important to have that engineering fundamental. I think even more so though, and this is something I have shared, you know, I've spoken with other people with similar backgrounds is that, I think it also gives it's going to be a passion to learn those things that um, maybe were just basic coursework for me, but have become really interesting to learn and challenging to learn on my own. So it's a different way of, of I guess, getting the same kind of background. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's, there's, there's definitely, when you think about I think I'm, I stopped pausing for a second to think about the things that, you know, I, I'm a CIO too. And when I work with staff and I think about who has what knowledge, you know, you've talked about the help desk staff and things like that and how they don't necessarily understand the networking concepts and fundamentals. And then the programming staff may not understand the, you know, kind of what the help desk is doing and, and how to troubleshoot the applications and stuff like that. You know, it's like a lot of that cross-functional knowledge, and I think that's what kind of what you're alluding to is you don't, you know, without that background, it could be, you have to find it in other ways and, and yeah. uh, you, you might have to, to put in that extra effort to get that, to get that in, but that can be really rewarding too, depending on the experiences that you have the opportunity to, to get yourself into, you know, like you're talking about your background here where you, you were asked to help out the MIS department and coding up on visual basic and stuff like that. And you probably made, you know, there's probably some mistakes you made along the way, but fundamentally you picked up a ton because you were doing it as this practical application uh uh and, and having to pick up the the coding aspects as you went just to expand on that for a bit because i think it, it is really important one of the smartest people i've hired uh as an architect uh never went to college now has his own startup cto at a, at a really successful growing startup mm -hmm. um you know it's it's the credentials that 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 people chase, you know, are, I, I understand you have to demonstrate that you've done some kind of work, right? You have to demonstrate that you you've put some time in and invested. But um, but really, there are a lot of people out there that that just you know were lucky enough to be in a situation to get the practical application, and you know that stuff is gold. Those people are gold. So I, 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 it's a challenge as a father because I want my kids to go to college like, like many parents do. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to recognize that there is absolutely nothing like the, the real world experience at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it actually prompts the thought for me. What kind of things do you think people, their leaders like us, can do to open those doors for folks to give them that practical experience? Because there is a real problem in IT of, you know, we want people who have experience, but how do they get the experience that they need in order to get, you know, to get their foot in the door to start? So like what, what steps have, yeah, what, what things have you done to, to, you know, in your experience? I mean, you've got tons of experience uh, being a leader of different types of organizations. So uh, I think, I think people would be really curious to hear some of your strategies for, for solving that conundrum. Well, and so so nothing works 100% across the board, right? And and um, but I, one thing that I've found to be very useful um, is I think motivation sometimes plays a much larger role than than I think people undervalue what that can do. So what I mean by that is you may be 80% 85% proficient in some language, uh, you know the ins and outs, 
you're great at it, you've done it for 20 years, but you're about 15% motivated to actually do anything in it because you're bored. Um, and then you may have 15% knowledge in something, but 85% motivation to, to learn and improve. Mm -hmm. um, finding people with that amount of motivation is key. And I found that um, having people stretch a bit, you know, for the, for the right personality can really unlock a lot of talent. So, uh, you know, I mentioned, uh, uh, you know, someone I hired who didn't have a college degree. Um, the fact that, that he didn't have a college degree maybe meant that he was going to work a little bit harder. Um, mm -hmm. I think people need to, to see that upside more as opposed to thinking about it as a filter. And if you have a, you know, a junior to, to mid-level engineer who's really hungry and wants more responsibility, I'm more willing to take a risk on providing that responsibility with the right guardrails and mentorship than I am to, to kind of, you know, think, well, no, maybe I'll go out to the market and find someone else. That's one thing that I think is, is, is a little bit undervalued is understanding motivation. Another is, um, just how important the domain knowledge, you know, within a specific business or vertical, you know, that, that knowledge can only be learned working. It, it really, there's no other way. Applying mm -hmm. technology to the business problem. Yeah, um, absolutely. That the most advanced technologist is still going to have to spend a lot of time getting up to speed to really understand the business problem. So people who have that deep business domain knowledge um, and need to, to practice up on the coding side, I think have a lot of upside potential. Whereas if you're just, you know, amazing at, you know, choose your language and, and um, you know, you're a ninja, but you don't understand the business, it's going to be a long learning curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm gonna go back to something you mentioned just a, a minute ago here. You were talking about giving, uh, like, say somebody who might not have a college degree, but has a ton of potential, and you can see that they've got the the kind of the hunger to go for it. Uh, and, and this applies maybe even to somebody who does, but is changing their their positions too. you know, like you can have somebody who's who's coming up through the support organization, but wants to move into the development side of the organization, for oh, instance, absolutely. or something like that. Yeah. But I think about in IT, so so frequently we're we're built around the idea of that you how to frame this. You can fail, or failure failing at something is is generally considered to not be good. And, and, I, and what I mean by that is that like in a lot of tech startups, and and you probably can give some insight into this, being from the development side of the house and being in some some consultative development businesses. There's a I think about like bigger companies, Alphabet, uh, um, uh, Meta, and places like that. They they are very open and honest about where a failure has happened in a process, and then they don't. They the, the accountability is to learn to not do it again, as opposed to say punishment for doing it wrong the first time. And and like that's a really important concept that gets in on the IT side, the IT and support side can oftentimes get lost because downtime is money and all these other things like that, but you still have to find the space for people to grow into. Uh, and, and that, you know, balancing those two can be a real, real challenge. So like, I, I just wanted to hear some thoughts from you about that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a, such a tricky one, right? You know, fail fast is great, but how many, you know, thousands of, 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 of shipwrecks out there, right? You know, mm -hmm. you don't want to hear that from an airplane pilot, right? You don't get many <laughs> fucking chances. So, 
Um, like a far side, like, oh, that's the, oh, we got a light out up here, and darned if that isn't the big one, right? (laughs) (laughs) Evolution sorts out those bad pilots, right? They just don't, (laughs) they're not around anymore. So as a leader, you have to, I think you have to really understand what, what mistakes are within the realm of, you know, growth curve and what mistakes are true risk of ruin and existential. Um, and where you are facing the latter, you just have to have redundancy and realize that humans are flawed by design. We're not machines. So we are going to make mistakes. And mm-hmm. the, the way that you put guardrails around that will define what happens when those mistakes occur. So the best example of that would be you have the right processes in place such that if someone makes that mistake, it's contained with a certain amount of time and there's only a certain amount of the impact radius is really small. And you can supplement that with, you know, a blameless postmortem to say, well, mistakes happen. This got around our framework. So how do we need to expand our framework? Not who do we need, but how do we change our processes and our framework? That's key. The Mm -hmm. worst example of that is the blast radius is huge because someone pasted in something and missed the tail end of it. Uh-huh. which I've seen many times and they become the scapegoat. And that to me is tragic because who, you know, has never made a mistake like that. Uh-huh. Um, so, it, so it, how an organization responds and creates the guardrails to protect people from their own potential for mistake um, is a really big part of that culture. And I, I try as much as I can to focus on that in building a, a, a truly blameless culture. Uh, because we're all going to make mistakes. And that's, Absolutely. It, you know, it, it, we could talk about this for you know for days as, as it applies to security, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. everyone knows the human is the weakest link. Well, that applied to, to technology across the board. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and IT security is a game of of uh, not if but when. You know, and, yeah. uh, you're gonna you, something's going to happen, and it's just when is it going to happen to you, not if it's going to happen to you. Well, you could add how valuable is that to mm-hmm. the actor, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, thanks for that insight. So changing gears a little bit, uh, we talked a little, we talked about how, you know, kind of your early career and where you started off and how you, you know, the, your your early Commodore computer and and you, you've started doing visual basic development for a bank. But at some point you transitioned from being the person doing IT to being a leader in IT. Yeah. What what was that point for you, and when did when did you realize that, and why? Oh, what a great question. Um, so um, I I went on for, you know from from doing that kind of work to being a database administrator and really working a lot in data, and then uh, at some point was chosen as a de facto project manager, a technical project manager to lead a project. Mm-hmm. Um, um, a small project for the organization called Y2K. Really that old uh, thing. Revealing my age there. Um, we just lost half your more than half your audience that was born after that. So um <laughs> and I, I think what what um you know as as a really solid contributor in, in any discipline, but you know in software development, you can contribute only so much given the human constraints of the time you can be focused, the knowledge that's in your head, your ability to learn, et cetera. Um, scaling that 
is a really interesting problem to solve. And scaling that means, you know, maybe being comfortable with, you know, not the same amount of quality, but you're investing in bringing other people up and bringing other people along. Um, so that's something that combine that with the need to scale out a company, a startup. You just need to grow your teams. I mean, you need you need to 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 um, increase your leverage and and be able to produce more and faster. Um, I just find that to be a very interesting problem to solve and, mm-hmm. and a fun one to solve. Uh, now, as far as like just the the coordination aspect, um, I, I'm I'm going to plug a book here that I read recently. Um, and I, right. I'm, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna forget the name of the author, so maybe someone can you know, check this. But I think it's Clara Claire Hughes Johnson, I believe, called Scaling People, and mm-hmm. uh, she worked at Google and at Stripe, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like the operating system of of running a company, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's very kind of in, in a sense engineering oriented, and and how structured it is. It's like a template and a playbook. Um, but putting together the processes and communing, communicating them across an organization and aligning, aligning an organization like mm-hmm. an operating system is a fascinating challenge, just management in general. So, mm. um, so that that kind of orchestration is also interesting and, and a fun problem to solve. And then when you can combine the two, the orchestration with kind of helping people get to where they want to be and helping the company grow to where it wants to be. All mm-hmm. of that together is just a lot of fun. Awesome. I, I did consult the internet, that series of tubes, and it did tell me that you were right. It is Claire Hughes Johnson is the author okay. of that book. So, so you know, gold star for you right now. You you pulled that out of the hat <laughs> and got it. So so going back to, we we started talking a little bit about how, or when did you know you you realized you were a leader in in, yeah. in an IT space? Like, like, what was the epiphany for you where you were like, oh my gosh, like, I'm I'm now and, and I and I'm comfortable or confident in doing this. So I don't know exactly when this was. I don't remember how old I was or any of those details other than I remember the conference room. I remember it was full of people that were kind of like stern looks in their faces and kind of frowning around a problem. And I just kind of got frustrated and said, Well, wait a minute. And I got up in front of a whiteboard and started drawing something. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was the, the moment of if I can just make this problem a bit more easy to digest and, and do something visual um, and bring people along with my thinking mm-hmm. or even, you know, not even having the answer, but just maybe creating the problem statement in a way that that you could, you know, get people to understand and then and then really focus on a solution. That that was probably the moment mm-hmm. um, that was probably, I don't know, 20 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So you felt that you felt that transition point, and from there, what did it make you want to do further? Like, I mean, you've had you yeah. you've you know just going through you know I'm I'm uh, I'm clicking real quick to make sure I get to your your LinkedIn profile here on my computer, but you know you've got a great you know set of experience here. You know you've worked at um, you know going back into uh, way back in time, Matt Life and. And uh, you know, Globot and Blackbot and Bear, BearsDev and you know, Kestra Financial. You know, you're currently with the Forte Group, so you've been you've clearly been moving uh, into I'd say roles that that seem to be offering you new challenges at each step. Um, yeah. And 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 what's so what's driving you uh, to to want to see that and be that kind of leader? What kind of leader are you trying to be? I guess is maybe the question I'm driving at here. 
Well, I mean, there's two answers, right? I mean, one is sort of what what drives me forward, and um, and the other is what kind of leader I want to be, which I think mm-hmm. is a constant work in progress. It's kind of like asking what kind of father I want to be. I, I see mm-hmm. both as being, you know, constant projects of of learning from mistakes and and yep. uh, and and learning more. Um, but I, I, as as you know, as I've progressed in technology, uh, my interest just continues to expand beyond technology. Um, in a lot of domains, um, like learning about, um, you know, I, I didn't get an MBA. I got a master's in economics. Uh, I say instead because I feel like it, it's a mathematically that it's a, it was a bit tougher. Um, so I found it to be more of a challenge. And, uh, very recently though, I, I've been actually, uh, I've been reading this great book on financial intelligence. I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but just to learn under, better understanding of how to read financial statements. Uh-huh. Um, I'm always wanting to learn these things and, and, mm-hmm. and I want to be able to add value across the organization. I guess that's my point is that, um, you know, technology solves a bunch of discrete problems, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't necessarily increase your lead conversion, right? Uh, it doesn't necessarily add more value to your customers or secure your market position or improve your EBITDA. Um, it, it should, you know, mm-hmm. depending on what kind of business you're running, it should enable all of that. But that alone doesn't do it. So understanding all of the components of a company beyond the technology side is just something I, I'm continuing to learn more and more about in different industries. Um, now, I think, uh, you know, you can kind of stay in one area and become a deeper subject matter expert, uh, you know, uh, as, a, as a lifelong pursuit, or you can kind of try to expand and, and learn as much as possible. And I guess I fall in the latter camp. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I know. I think about my, you know, I'm, I'm mentally aligning some of my journey with yours as we talk and thinking about this. And, you know, uh, I, I was talking to my, you know, my wife uh, recently about the transition from one of my recent roles where I went from being, I guess you'd call a working leader into being more of an executive leader, you know, one, you know, where we where uh, you know, much more focused on strategy as opposed to kind of like laying out the strategy and having to execute the strategy as well. Um, you know, in your, in your current role, like which, where, where are you positioned in your, in your current role? Are you in, have you moved into like an executive strategy role? Are you still doing, are you, are you doing both at the same time here, uh, where, where you're at? I'd say I'm doing both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is more a function of, um, well, it's a function of, of where the company is in, in its mm-hmm. current trajectory. Um, yeah. I, I often say I have a three to five year attention span. Uh-huh. There's a certain sweet spot where companies are going through a lot of growth and change, um, which I find really fun, mm-hmm. which is getting, getting to a certain level of process maturity, um, expanding, uh, growing in a scalable way. Um, uh, you're new at your current role, right? The Forte Group is yeah, just yeah. pretty new. So, so like, um, it, it, can you t- why don't you tell us a little bit about like what 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 the what the day in the life is for you there as the is uh, the chief technology officer in that in that organization? Yeah, and it's and it's really specific to to to. I mean, being a chief technology officer in in a more of a of a services professional services company is is totally different than a product company, and mm-hmm. and I'd say. Having insight in, in one gives you a ton of insight in the other. So a lot of the time, I'm helping our sales force actively in our marketing, helping them understand their buyer. Um, you know, if, if you're in the business of selling something, 
um, that's your specialty. But if you haven't bought that service, then there's there's a little little bit of the world that you may not know about. So um, having been on the buy side of the equation allows me to to provide a lot of insight to those areas. Um, you know, it's a, it, if you're not building your product, I mean, there's not there's, you know, it's not a traditional CTO role where you're worried about keeping the lights on, making sure that you know servers have backed up. You know, that that's a, that's less of a concern these days than you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. For sure. Um, you know, uh, you don't worry about email working or not. <laughs> Now, now, does that uh, just, it, as a chief technology officer, does that are you? Do you have uh, you know that operational responsibility as well? Or are you are you very much focused on technology leadership? I mean, minimally, minimally. Mm-hmm. So it you know just just as you know the transition for our enterprise, you know the enterprises are going through is you know is is the technology is it you know a cost center or is it a revenue generator? Well, in mm-hmm. services, it's a one in a one hundred percent revenue generator. So it's more like an external role than it is an internal role. So I lead a team that obviously delivers services, but also has to provide a certain amount of value add. That's that's mm-hmm. our competitive advantage. Uh-huh. And leading that team means uh, means a whole bunch of things, from you know architecting solutions for our clients to uh, making sure that they have the right skills and capabilities to deliver. Um, you know, it's, 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 um, you know, the, in the services company, people are your chief asset, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. So, so now, you know, you're, you know, a lot of our listeners, they, maybe they're brought in the mix from, from all these organizations, but there's a lot of IT, you know, internal IT support for organizations and you're doing a you know, what's a little different where you're, you're, you know, you're in IT and service delivery, but that service delivery is is for product support and those types of things. So what advice would you have for people listening to the podcast about, about like being an, a leader in the IT space and what, like, there's some maxims that you like to follow, some ideas, some principles that you always take with you, no matter where you go, what would those be? Oh, what a great question. So um, there is some blog post out there. Um, well, there's a couple out there that uh, one I do remember uh is it's by paul graham who is at was at y combinator um um, about maker time and meeting time Uh and he talks about when he was you know starting his first startup and he would code at night and then do meetings during the day having a, a an acute sense of how people can be productive depending upon the task and scaling that productivity is important for it leaders to have do not Take people out of their focus time if you expect them to be productive, solving heavy cognitive lift tasks, which is writing code. Mm-hmm. Um, and that understanding that will inform you know, how you do your meetings, uh, how you transmit information across the organization, um, how you organize, you know, your how you do your, your office strategy. Do you have people sit in the same room coding next to each other with headphones on all day? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. you you know have a, a a more reasonable arrangement where they can have more control over, over their environment. Obviously, you can tell I favor the latter, and you can see where I'm sitting. <laughs> I, I think a lot for of those, for those for those we don't have video at home uh, the podcast, but you know we well, both Lucas and I are sitting in our homes doing this today. Uh, so so yeah, so we 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 are we are pretty clearly proponents of of at least a hybrid schedule. <laughs> Sorry, but go ahead, continue. Well, that doesn't that doesn't mean though. With that 
means is that when you are in the same room with people, make the best use of it. Maximize you know? it. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one thing I, I, I learned, you know, leading remote teams is that you, you find it, find a good spot, you know, book that hotel in, in a, in a city that's not too expensive, that has great food and spend two days together. And that's going to pay dividends for the rest of your year. You'll be totally aligned. So, um, so having that that understanding of, of when to put pull people together and when to have them focus incredibly important. I think that blog post is anyone could find it. There's another way of thinking, and I read this in a blog post. And I don't remember is um, understanding you know, how to communicate, and there's a kind of like a, an engineering way of thinking about it is uh-huh. understanding the difference between tickets, uh, log entries, and alerts. Mm. So tell, tell me more. I want to. I want to. I want to know this. <laughs> I want to. Well, what what what's what's endemic of an organization that's kind of in meeting paralysis all the time, and people are always bogged down and too busy to get things done. Too much is going into email. Tasks go into email. People, you know, write a long email, or they create a big deck and set out a bunch of things that should be should happen. Don't they don't get done. If you have a system so that you understand why you're communicating what and when. You use chat. Chat's like an alert. It's totally ephemeral. I'm just going to fire something off. I need someone to pay attention right then. I don't need to search for it later. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter, but I need immediate action. I go there. Mm-hmm. I need to log something, something forensic. I need to send something to people so they're aware, but they don't need to read it right now and they can search for it later. That goes into an email, but don't expect anyone to take an immediate action because they're not going to read it when you send it. Mm-hmm. Then if you have an action, put it in a backlog, create a ticket somewhere. doesn't matter if it's a sauna, Jira, whatever. Create a ticket that people can collaborate that will automatically tell you if you haven't done something that you should have done on time. Mm-hmm. Really simple stuff. People mix those three things up and, and, and it's not uniform across an organization. But if you follow that discipline, it'll keep your inbox to almost zero. It'll make sure that things get done on time. And when something bad happens, people know about it. They're not, you know, they're not getting an out of office reply. Uh-huh. That, that I think is a, it's an interesting paradigm to think in. And then finally, if you're a leader in IT, it's absolutely your responsibility to continuously learn. There's no excuse not to. Uh-huh. Um, one of my best sources, I'm on the TLDR newsletter. Um, that points me at a lot of stuff every day. Uh, I'd say 80% of what I'm learning about these days, like many, is related to LLMs. Um, I think the world's still figuring out the best way to use that. And there's like lots of low-hanging fruit. But no one really mm-hmm. knows how to operationalize everything yet. Oh, so we got really totally. We've been doing a lot yeah. of talk, even at my company. Like we had a whole we had a whole executive meeting at one point where I, I my, my uh, along with my IT manager, he and I gave just a high level rundown of some of the tools and the things that you could do. You know, here's ChatGPT, here's this, here's what LLMs are, and here's here's some of the business functions. And and like the very next thing was our our CHRO is like we should make a policy that. That, that make sure that we tell people they can't use this stuff until we have a policy. <laughs> like, and so there's a lot of like business considerations that come into this. And and the thing is, that I mean, just like a lot of shadow IT, this stuff's already going on, right? I mean, like, oh, yeah, people are using it. I know people are like, yeah, I use ChatGPT right on my emails every day, you know? Yep. Yeah. No, no. It, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, that's kind of like the invisible hand of, of technology, right? It's going to get adopted whether you like it or not. So the mm-hmm. faster you are to operationalize it, that more advantages you have. Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, this is Phil Howard, founder of Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. 
I just want to take a few minutes to address something. It has become fairly apparent, I'm sure all of you will agree, over the years that slow vendor response, vendor response times, vendors in general, the the average is mediocre. Support is mediocre. Mediocrity is the name of the game. Not only is this a risk to your network security, because I've seen vendors on numerous occasions share sensitive information, but there's also a direct correlation to your budget and your company's bottom line. Not to mention the sales reps that are trying to sell you and your CEO and your CFO on a daily basis. That causes a whole nother realm of problems that we don't have time to address. Our back office program at Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, we've put together specifically for IT leadership, and it's on a mission to eliminate this mediocrity. And the best part is that we're doing this in a way that will not cost your IT department a dime. So if you'd like us to help you out, get better pricing, better support, and jump on pressing issues in minutes, not days, then contact us now so we can get on a, a call with you and conduct a value discovery session where we find out what you have, why you have it, and where you want to go and how we can improve your your life, your IT department, and your company's bottom line. What you're going to end up with is, number one, just faster support from partners who care about your organization's uptime and bottom line. And because you're going to be able to access our $1.2 billion in combined buying power, you'll be able to benefit uh, significantly from historical data. And on top of that, you'll also benefit from the skills of hundreds of on-demand experts that we have working behind the scenes that are all attached to our back office support program. So if you'd like, again, none of this is ever going to cost you a dime. At the very least, it's going to open your your eyes to what's possible. Let our back office team provide you the high-touch solutions and support that your IT team deserves so that you can stop calling 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND for support. Now, if you're wondering, what does this apply to? This applies to your ISPs, your telecom providers, all your application providers, whether you're a Microsoft shop or a Google shop, what you might be paying for AWS, even Azure, co-location space, any of those vendors that you're paying a monthly bill to, we can help you with. Hey, it's Greg, the Frenchman secretly managing the podcast behind the curtain. To request your one-on-one call, contact us at internet at popularit.net. And remember, it will never cost you a dime. Awesome. Well, that's that's some that's some great sage advice. Thank thank you for thank you for sharing that. So I'm gonna I'm it's gonna diver- I'm gonna diverge <laughs> here for just a just a second. So I always we always take a few minutes just sort of to kind of like light light questions to get a little background in everybody. So I'm gonna ask you the question I'm gonna ask you today is what what is what about your background? And this is a non technical thing. Would somebody either be surprised or you somebody said tell me something really interesting or super you know super like crazy about you you know like like i i could share like for me like once i was in the macy's day parade when i was a kid you know <laughs> like what for you would be the, the kind of an interesting thing you would like to share oh the people might not expect from from you that people might not expect yeah there's so many that people would expect right so i'm like a you know guy in technology living in brooklyn new york so the fact that i have a guitar behind me and you yeah. know 
so you know the fact that i you know have a guitar behind me obviously means that you know i play it but it's, it's not my day job right so yeah there's a lot of a lot of people doing that um you know i think that the the thing that people may not know right off the bat is uh, a lot of my career i mean i've spent more time working remote than um than i ever spent going to any office and mm -hmm. part of that was that i lived in argentina for about 12 years my wife wow. was from there uh, my children were born there oh that's amazing for about 10 of those years i was working remotely for a company that um you know didn't really have a remote work policy i was just getting things done and it didn't matter because i didn't have to be there physically uh, i think i was early adopter of a, a bondage device when it just come, came to market so i was mm -hmm. able to communicate that way um and i watched the maturity of a lot of tools uh over that time you know enable more of what i was doing uh sort of grassroots so um so I, you know i could talk to you in spanish with relative fluency people don't always know that about me um they, they might question my accent a bit but uh, they'd understand me <laughs> they're like they're like oh there's the american gang but so so like that's a and it, people often underestimate how exposure to different cultures than your own can really like positively influence your 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 viewpoints and your your broaden your understanding so like what when you you, know, you spent 10 years living in argentina so you're in south america 10 years your wife is from argentina you were totally immersed in this culture for so long like what what big takeaways and what maybe is different and let's we'll wrap it back into how it relates to here. We're talking about leadership on the podcast. How did that help shape some of your thoughts on leadership? Um, so I, I think, you know, just right off the bat, I mean, empathy, right? So mm -hmm. uh, if you're from the United States, you come from, you know, a quality of, of a standard of living that is incredibly higher than the majority of the world. Mm -hmm. So um, in I think it's very very valuable for me to have that experience extremely valuable for my children to have that experience um just gives you a lot of insight and empathy and and kind of a sense of 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 um you know what we actually have and, and how grateful we should be to have it um i'd say that's that's yeah that's that's a large part of it it's um the other is is you know technology as enabler uh, it's it's kind of funny how you know something like cell phone adoption in a developing country happens so much faster. You know the way that people were using WhatsApp in mm -hmm. Argentina ten years ago, um, you know, way beyond what people use it for in the United States. I mean, just to to run businesses. To mm -hmm. it, it's interesting how anachronistic it can be. You can be in a place where people might still you know be riding horses, but they're you know, using their cell phones to 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 do more than what we're doing in the U.S. Right on the on the uh, horse, right? You know, talking on their cell phone. You know, exactly, exactly. So, um, so that's something that's a really interesting phenomenon. You know, I, I I've never been to. Uh, I, you know, I'm sad to say I haven't had time, but I've never traveled to the African continent, and that's mm -hmm. that's a place where I'd like to go. They do a lot of things with payments there over cell phones. That's really interesting, and 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 uh, you know, doesn't get a lot of press. Um, so watching technology grow in those areas and how fast it grows and how it enables growth is really interesting. Something that I think living in the United States, you just become accustomed to. Mm -hmm. Now, would you say that 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 kind of experience and that knowledge or that exposure has? It, I mean, I'm hearing that it sounds like it would influence your 
thinking as a chief technology officer who is trying to put together products and other stuff like that. I mean, not that not that Americans, uh, you know, the American yeah. market that the that the market yeah. is very well developed, but all of a sudden you have this background where you're like, I've seen what it looks like when it's when it when it's vastly different, and maybe that's going to change how I how I approach this. Right. So, so you could think about it this way: in terms of top line growth, it gives you a lot of inspiration for products. But in terms of bottom line, it also mm-hmm. teaches you how you can get a lot of operational leverage with just a little bit of technology. So, your margins can be huge if you can if you can run your operations in a way that combines, let's say, you know, technology with uh, uh, a lot less of the conveniences that we are accustomed to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice awesome no oh, thank you thank you uh yeah so you know you mentioned earlier about uh, for remote workers you could pick you could pick the, the 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 city for them to meet in you know you could you could bring them all up to binghamton where i'm from uh <laughs> which is close which for the for those on the podcast who, who who don't know the geography of new york state i'm i we are about uh lucas and i are about three hours apart from each other um by by car so yeah I, i'm in the rest of new york and you're in new york that everybody <laughs> knows what they say new york so lucas lastly I, I one thing i we talked about your your advice for current leaders if you could go back in time yourself to to your younger self and give yourself some advice about leadership and what what, what would you what would you what would you what would you share with yourself i mean like a lot of us i think when we think about this the 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 I don't want to call it the easy answer, but the the simple answer that some people would say is like, well, you know, geez, I'd change and I'd be more advanced or I'd do this stuff or anything else like that. But but oftentimes the things that we build, uh, that you know, those are the building blocks that made us the leader that we are today. But if there was a piece of advice where you'd be like, you went back and you're like, man, if I just done, known this thing or something like that, it would have just, I would have been saved a lot. <laughs> what do you think it would so be? I think, yeah, uh, um, I think people can, spend a lot of time and energy worrying about whether or not this is, is i think it's an engineering conceit right like no one wants to to look dumb i mean that that's mm-hmm. across the board mm-hmm. but especially in engineering and i i had i man, i'm still learning there's tons of gaps in my knowledge tons of areas that if i had more time i would be spending time learning um being sincere about those gaps from the start in a, in a without you know hiding it in any way and not feeling ashamed, just saying, look, this I'm out of, it's out of, you know, out of what my current uh, knowledge set, um, that can save a lot of time for a lot of people. And I think that applies to everybody, but especially my younger self, um, I, I may have been less, um, less reluctant to talk about my background, which wasn't necessarily, you know, the traditional background, right? Mm. Um, that there's a virtue in that, not something to be ashamed of, because mm-hmm. um, you know people waste a lot of time just you know with shame in general. You know, at the end of the day, no one really cares if you're solving a problem and you're working with people with solving a problem. And where I've learned that the most is at the board level. The simple questions are the hardest ones to answer. And if you don't know the answer, say you don't know it. Because if you pretend to know the answer, you'll be found out very quickly. Um, yeah. So being being very honest, egoless. And 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 saying I don't know is a very important skill. Awesome. All right. Well, Lucas, I, I we appreciate you very much uh, taking the time to come on the show and uh, talk to us here on dissecting popular IT nerds. Uh, 
we'll, we'll see everybody uh, next time. And we look forward to, uh, talking to, uh, talking to people again in the future. Thanks so much. Really been a pleasure.